You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. There are Bibles around. We will be in Mark chapter 7. It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Gospel of Mark uh, is a biography of Jesus, and we are just working our way through it, uh, kind of section by section, episode by episode, and we're in Mark chapter 7, verses 24, and I'm going to read all the way to Mark chapter 8, verse 9, so if you, it'll be up on the screen, I believe, as well as in the, you've got a copy of God's Word in front of you as well. Um, And also, I should say, we have uh, journals in the back, too, which is just the Gospel of Mark. Does anybody have one handy that you want to hold up? Right there. Sarah has one. There you go. So those are real handy to be able to take uh, notes in. It's just that one book, and you can take notes, and we've done one on each of the books of the Bible that we've studied together. And I'm hoping that over time, uh, through the years together, you'll see your bookshelf grow, Of just, uh, and those will just be mile markers of our journey with God together and uh, you'll be able to open it up and remember some, uh, some things that we learned together as a church. So that's what they're for. You can take or leave them, but they're free to you uh, to use as, um, as you want. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Let me read our text for today. And from there, he, meaning Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the city, to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And he brought, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on them. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. And said to him, Ephaphtha, Ephaphtha, that's a tough word, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged him to tell no one. But the more he charged him, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He gathered his disciples to him and and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given, them, given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a, a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. 
And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, to see Jesus through the word. God, we pray that we would, uh, we would encounter him and that we would be uh, impacted and changed and enlightened and encouraged, inspired by what we read today and what we study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever gone on a vacation to go do something restful, and then when you got back, it wasn't restful at all? Anybody been in that kind of situation? Back in 2018, uh, the church that I was serving gave us a sabbatical, and we took a month-long trip, took a long road trip. We way overplanned the thing. We just had this crazy trip, went all the way out, drove all the way out to Washington, D.C. and Virginia, down through Tennessee, and just had a great time. Some of our best memories as a family are uh, on that trip, but we, it was not restful. It was exhausting, and, uh, and we have Jesus going, and he's leaving the area of, of, of Galilee, and he's going off to get some rest, um, but it's not going to end up being a very, a very restful trip at all. In fact, there's going to be a lot of needs and demands upon him, and this is part of his plan, yet it also, we see that as he uh, looks to leave the area, he's still doing ministry even while being outside of the boundaries of Israel. Uh, in the context of what we just saw last week, we saw that the Pharisees and the scribes challenged Jesus that his disciples were not following the tradition of the elders. They were not uh, following the man-made rule, so they challenged Jesus, and Jesus rebuked them pretty strongly and called them out on their hypocrisy of taking their laws, twisting them, and working them against God's laws. And Jesus made this very important principle. He then spoke to the crowds and then later to his disciples that it's not what's on the outside that, that going inside makes one unclean, but what is on the inside that comes out that makes one unclean. And so now we get, that's sort of a bit of a living parable as we talk about unclean. He, he, he talks about unclean food being made clean. And we get this, this picture as coming out of this making unclean things clean. Um, he then is going to go to unclean regions and make unclean people clean. This is a connection that we'll see later in Acts chapter 10 when the blanket comes down with the unclean foods and God commands Peter to eat and um, Peter pushes back a little bit and then God says, do not let anyone say what is unclean, what I have declared clean. And then he has this encounter with a Gentile named Cornelius and he has fellowship with this man. This man comes to know Jesus and Peter says this in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35. Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality for in every nation, everyone, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. We have this mind-blowing picture that God actually wants to redeem unclean Gentiles to be part of his family. This goes back to the promise that God made to Abraham that through his, his seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. But somewhere along the line, the Israelites began to, be, to, uh, to gain sort of an elitist position to where it was like them versus the nations as opposed to them set apart to be a servant for the nations. And Jesus is, is going to challenge that and actually draw people in. He's going to be a savior, not just for Israel only, but for all peoples. We have something really interesting geographically. I think there's a map here um, of where he's going. So basically, that's the Sea of Galilee. He's been doing his ministry uh, sort of to the left on the west side, mostly in that ministry. Uh, on the right would be Gentile lands. That would be outside Israel. And then up north is also outside of Israel. And what he's doing is he decides to escape Escape may be the wrong word, but he goes, in verse 24, he rose from there and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So he's going up north. This is modern-day Lebanon, uh, Phoenicia, Syrophoenician, Tyre and Sidon are known for, throughout Scripture, if you read about Tyre and Sidon, 
you kind of like, ooh, you, it's known for its wickedness. It's rampant wickedness and, and opposition to Israel's God. So he's going into en- historically enemy territory. No self-respecting rabbi should go to this historically unclean place. And so Jesus arises um, because of opposition in his own home, home country, which is ironic. The Israelites were to receive him. They did not receive their Savior. And so he leaves, he rises, and goes away to this region. And what's fascinating is that he's going to end up over in the Decapolis. So he is just very determined. This is a, a really weird direction he's going to go. This is not naturally where you would want to go through the desert and all that stuff. But he's, he's very clearly in this uh, working and spending his time in Gentile lands. He's going to that which was formerly unclean and making it clean. So he's going to work among the Gentiles. So we just need to kind of understand that that's sort of in the background here is that we're in the center of Jesus's Gentile ministry. Some scholars think that this could be as much as eight months that is being covered in this section. I don't know if that's the case or not, but he's doing a significant amount of ministry in this area. So three main points today. Uh, Three main sections to our scripture. First, we're going to see in chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, that Jesus transforms dogs into children. Then we're going to see that in chapter 7, verses 31 through 37, that Jesus opens what has been closed. And then in verses 8, 1 through 9, we're only going to touch on that briefly. Jesus satisfies the hungry faithful. He satisfies the hungry faithful, no matter where they're from. So, We're in Gentile land now. We have moved outside of Israel, and now Jesus is going to do a a, a significant amount of ministry to non-Jewish people. And we just need to kind of just be aware of how uh, scandalous this would be. Okay, so Jesus transforms dogs into children. Look at chapter 7, verse 24. And he arose from there and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered the house and did not want anyone to know Yet he could not be hidden. He's wanting a little bit of a retreat, but he's known up and even up in this Gentile land. He is known and pursued. Verse 25, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came down and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. In Matthew's account, Jesus actually ignores her for quite a while, and the disciples get so irritated by her persistence that they want him to drive her away. She is unworthy of being ministered to by a Jewish Messiah. A self-respecting Jewish Messiah does not have time for her. And he initially does resist her. This woman has four strikes of uncleanness against her. Okay? So we're to read this in its context of cleanness and uncleanness. And this woman has four strikes of uncleanness against her. She is as unclean as you can get. She's a woman. Typically, a woman wouldn't approach a rabbi just on these terms with this kind of boldness. Number two, she has a daughter with an unclean spirit. So I don't know what she has done, but somehow the demonic has been um, a part of her family now. So she's got a daughter with an unclean spirit. She's a Gentile. She's a non-Jewish person. And not only that, potentially one of the worst kinds of Gentiles, a Syrophoenician. A Syrophoenician. This is the area and the region where Jezebel came from, who came and married Israel's king Ahab and led the people in terrible rebellion. Jezebel is known, that name may ring a bell for you, even if you don't know your Bible very well, you know Jezebel means bad, right? This is the area that she's come from, and she's persistently pursuing Jesus, claiming, wanting him to heal her daughter of this demon. 
The woman is the definition of unclean. She's the kind of person that no Jewish Messiah should ever bless. And in Matthew 15, Matthew's account, it says that this woman is tenacious, calling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. She's pleading to Israelite scriptures and Israelite prophecies. She is seeing him as the one true Messiah and said, Hey, would you happen to have some grace for me, an undeserving outsider? She calls and she persists. And he decides finally to answer her in verse 27. And he says to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ooh. This is not very politically correct at all. Jesus throws a pretty sharp insult at her, or seemingly so. And what he's saying is that the children of Israel are the ones whom the Messiah has come for. It would not be right for the Messiah to not do his mighty works for the children of God. Like, you're, those are the children of God. The bread, God's provision, his blessing, his kindness is for God's people. It's not for dogs. Calling her a dog. The Jews often called Gentiles dogs. So he plays into that and says it's not right, implying that she would be in the dog category, not in the child category. Is Jesus racist? Some people have said that the case. Some progressive scholars, some Progressive people have said, well, Jesus is being racist here and actually needs to be corrected by the woman. I don't think that's the case at all. Perhaps if we could read Jesus' body language, we might see a little bit of a twinkle in his eye because he knows what's going on in her heart and he's poking in order to bring to light her faith. That's what we're going to see. So he's being deliberately provocative because he knows who he's dealing with here and he actually wants to highlight her tenacious faith. He's testing her in order to publicly reveal her faith, which is meant to be kind of a sign of like the fact that actually even non-Jewish people are going to be clued in on the Jewish promises through the Messiah. Verse 28, here's what she says. She says, yes, Lord. So I don't, she, yeah, Lord, Kyrios, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And this is fascinating because what she does is she doesn't get offended or defensive of going, oh, how dare you call me that? She goes ahead and she gets the parable. She's the first one in the Gospels to get one of Jesus' parables. Jesus lays out a parable and said, the blessings of the Messiah are for the children, not for the dogs. And she goes, yeah, but even the dogs benefit from God's kindness to his people. And so she goes ahead and just embraces, yes, I know I'm an outsider, I know I have no natural by birth right to be a part of the people of God. Yet, yet also, in Israel's history, there have been promises and there have always been blessings to God's people, even outsiders who are willing to respect and ask for it. That's kind of what's behind this. So she takes Jesus on his terms. He go, she goes ahead and embraces her humble situation before God, before Jesus, and then she pleads to the promises of God to the son of David. Yeah, but even the son of David, even, even the dogs, even Gentiles have benefited from Israel's God. And she gets it. She accepts her unworthiness. Yep, I will not argue with you that I am unworthy of this. But even the dogs are fed. Even the household dogs are fed. She challenges back based on God's gracious promises to bless, to bless the Gentiles. And she gets the parable. If you were to go back to Mark, cha or, yeah, Mark chapter 4, when it talks about Jesus 
the, the, the sower scattering seed. Sometimes it falls on hard ground. Sometimes it falls on weed ground. Sometimes it finds good soil. Here we find Jesus casting out, in, in not the most seeker-sensitive way, he challenges her and she responds rightly. She's the good soil. She responds with this tenacious faith. She seems to know and recognize Israel's Messiah better than anyone else. And she gets the parable. The one who has eyes to see can see. The one who has ears to hear can hear. And so she goes ahead and accepts Jesus on his own terms and reminds him of the promises of God that, yes, even Gentiles are going to be blessed by Israel's Messiah. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What's interesting here is that all the other accounts so far have been focused on the healing, right? Here we get the focus. It's almost like the healing of her daughter is sort of incidental. That happens. That's important. But what's being highlighted is her faith. What's being highlighted is her faith. And so the focus of this is not so much the healing, but the faith. And that is important to us. As many demons, you could cast out demons all day and people would still go to hell. But by faith, people can be saved. And so the highlight here is her faith in Jesus. He can't, in fact, in Matthew's account, he says that it is great faith. Mega faith. She gets the parable. She's the good soil. She owns it. She owns her condition before this God and yet pleads on the base of his mercy with tenacious faith and showcases her great faith. And Jesus wants to bring that through the surface. So Jesus is not being unnecessarily harmful here. He's trying to hold up and then reward a great faith from someone that you would not expect, the most unclean of unclean, the most unworthy of the unworthy. She seems to have faith. One scholar named N.T. Wright says, a sign that Jesus had meant what he said about cleanness and uncleanness. The old barriers, the old taboos have been swept away. The dogs who were under the table are already sharing in the children's bread. Pretty soon they would cease to be dogs and would become children alongside the others. Again, she embraced her humble standing, boldly appealed to the international promises of God's grace. There seems to be a bit of a parallel here with, with uh, Jesus' ministry um, and Elijah's ministry. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8-24, through 24, Elijah goes to this same region and does and meets a widow of Zarephath, and he provides food for her. She says, we have this discussion about food and who doesn't and doesn't get fed. We get this widow of Zarephath, someone who's outside Israel, outside the promises of God, being blessed by God's prophet with this blessing, whose own child ends up dying, and Elijah raises him back to life. So we get a ministry like Elijah that, yes, the promises of God are for the Jew first, but also for the Gentile. And in fact, God's plan always has been to turn dogs into children. Because she doesn't get some sort of lesser blessing, she gets the same level of healing that everybody else gets. She gets the same deliverance that everybody else gets. Jesus is a Savior, not just for Israel, but for, Gentile, for, for non-Israelites as well. Luther said she took Jesus at his own word. He treated her then not as a dog, but as a child of Israel. And I think what we see here is Jesus loves to poke at in order to reveal humble yet persistent faith. He loves that. The one who is uber unclean on the outside by every standard is the one who has demonstrated that they are clean from the inside because of her persistent faith that showed itself publicly. 
She's uber, clean, uber unclean on the outside, but has been received Jesus by faith and is therefore clean on the inside and therefore a true child of God. He transforms dogs, those who would be outside God's plan, into children, those included in God's plan. Then, in chapter, in verses 31 through 37, we see that Jesus opens what has been closed. He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. I showed that on the map. This is way, Jesus is specifically going out of his way to avoid Israel at this point. He's going up and around, obviously avoiding them. This is not the natural way that you would go. And he's clearly going to land on the far side of the Sea of Galilee in the Decapolis side. Remember we had the man with the legion of demons in him in Decapolis? Well, he's coming back now to that same area of Decapolis. Going to do some ministry there. Verse 32, And they brought him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And this is just a sweet, this is just a sweet line. Jesus has come into this Gentile area. He's only been there to be on the shore, cast out a demon, and then he left. And remember that man who had the demon cast out of him went through all the Decapolis, it says, proclaiming what God had done for him, right? It's the one time when Jesus tells somebody to go, say, say, go, go share their testimony, right? Go spread the gospel. Jesus is real secretive. He's going to be secretive again in this passage. But here they are. The Decapolis region has, been, has heard um, what Jesus has done. This man has been preaching for who knows how many months, and now Jesus is finally coming, and it's just such a sweet line there. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on them. We all need friends like this, right? These friends have enough faith in Jesus to take their deaf and speech impediment mute friend who they really can't communicate very well. Like, he wouldn't know that Jesus is coming. He wouldn't know what that means. Like, and so they are going to bring him. They're going to help him get to Jesus because he can't get to Jesus himself. He just isn't aware and able to do and ask for what he needs to ask for. So his friends have enough faith in Jesus through what they've heard to get their friend to Jesus. They love their friend enough and they have enough faith in Jesus to bring the two together, right? We all need friends like that. We all need friends who love us enough to help us through our <laughs> shortcomings and help us get to Jesus, right? And what do they do? What do they do to Jesus? They beg Jesus, just like the Syrophoenician woman. They begged Jesus. We all need friends who would beg Jesus for our good. Like, we call that prayer. We put our needs on these prayer cards so that we might have our friends beg Jesus to give us what we need, right? He needed dear friends to have enough faith in Jesus and enough love for him to do what it takes to bring the two together. The same is true for us. Do we believe and love enough to get other people to Jesus? People who have not yet heard. People who can't hear yet. Do we pray for them? Do we seek to beg Jesus? Do we try to get them into environments where they could meet Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Do we love our friends enough and have enough faith in Jesus that if we could just put the two together, whatever our friends are struggling with, whatever they need, Jesus is able to provide their ultimate need. So just wanted to pause there that this is just, this kind of echoes back to, it's Mark chapter 2, I think, where the four friends come and rip the roof off of Peter's house in order to get their friend down through to get to Jesus. Well, it turns out there's a Gentile version of that story too, where these Gentiles have this faith 
to get their friend to Jesus. Verse 33, we get this really weird interaction. Verse 33, and him, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, and I think, I think we're meant to understand that this guy doesn't know exactly what all's going on. Right? He can't speak clearly. He's deaf. What is going on? And Jesus very kindly takes him from the crowd privately, puts his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, that is, be opened. And his ears were open and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. What is Jesus doing here? Does he have to do all of this stuff? There was some, as I studied this, there were some who interpreted this as being like, okay, Jesus is kind of trying to take on some of the magician qualities, that this is the kind of like incantations that maybe since he's in Gentile country, he's doing some of those kind of practices. That's why he's doing the ear and the spit and the tongue thing, um, is that maybe he's like kind of taking a little bit of that on and then he's going to blow it up, that he doesn't need that. He can just speak and do that. I'm not so sure. I think this is a form of sign language. I think he's communicating with the man what he's going to do for him. I think he takes him aside. He's looking him in the eyes. He's going, hey, your ears? Yeah. And, and your, your tongue? I'm going to loose your tongue? Spit. And th- that's going to come from, from God. So, so, so I think this is meeting the man where he is and going, hey, I, I know what your need is. And I, I just want you to know that God, God is going to use me to fix your ears and your tongue. Right? I think this is just a compassionate meeting the man where he is, understanding his con- And it says, he looking up to heaven, he sighed. So Jesus feels for the man. He knows he's about to heal him, but he also feels. I think the sigh here has the idea of like empathy, compassion. I have compassion on the crowds. Like, <sighs> he sighs for this man's condition. He feels for the man. He cares about the man. He's trying to communicate very clearly what is happening here. And then with a word, he opens his mouth and looses his tongue. I don't think this is magic. I don't think there's any sort of weird cultural thing necessarily going on. There could be. But I think it's just a gracious form of sign language to take the man where he is, to not make a spectacle of him. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know who this is. And going, hey, here's, here's what I'm going to do. And then, boom, it happens. It's kind. It's considerate communication with the man saying, I'll open your ears. I'll loosen your tongue. This is a work from God. And I feel for you. I care for you. And then with only a word, the man is freed. Jesus meets the man where he is, the way he is. His friends got him to Jesus, begged him, and Jesus very graciously took this man that they loved so dearly, and he loves him so dearly too. And then in verse 36, the man charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Well, now he can finally talk, right? Oh yeah, we're telling this story. And so, I don't know, Jesus just can't seem to keep this thing quiet. And they were astonished behind me- beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What's fascinating here is the last time that we've seen people astonished were the guys in the boat, the disciples in the boat. Do you remember that? After the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, they're in the boat. They're astonished, but they didn't learn the lesson of the bread. They're astonished because of their hardness of heart. They're just not getting it, right? It's a ghost. We're not seeing. We're not getting it clearly. Here they go. No, this man does everything well. That's fascinating that Jesus' own disciples, when he does something amazing, go, oh, we're not getting it. Maybe it's a ghost. Like, they're not putting two and two together. And these people go, no, this, this is a man that we approve of. 
Like, we, he does all things well. It almost feels like the end of Genesis where it says, and God saw that all of that he had made and it was very good. That's kind of the idea. This, this is the one who does all things well. So it, this is uh, surprising. Israel's leaders confront Jesus. He's not following the rules. He does unclean things. He's not doing the... And these people go, we love this man. He does all things well, right? And it's just, just such a contrast here. That it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. And these people's responses from the heart is exactly the right response to the Messiah. They were astonished, not with hardness of heart like the disciples, not with nitpicking criticism like the Pharisees and the scribes, but with total approval. And Israel's Messiah seems to be on the verge of being rejected by, it, by his own people and received by Gentile dogs. Jesus is opening a way to the Gentiles. He's opening not just the man's ears and the mouth, but he's opening the way to Gentiles. He's a, he's a savior for them as well. This has an echo back to Isaiah chapter 35, which Rachel read a little bit earlier. So Mark chooses a very interesting word in Greek to speak of this man's infirmity. He doesn't use exactly that he's mute, but that his tongue is tied. He has a speech impediment. There's only one other place where that word is used, and that's in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's used in Isaiah chapter 35 when it speaks about when God will come and dwell with his people. One of the things that will happen when God comes and dwells with his people is that the mute will speak. So I think, I think Mark is intentionally grabbing that as sort of a little Easter egg to go, God has come. And if you remember back in Isaiah chapter, well, actually in Isaiah chapter 34, God's anger is against the nations and his day of vengeance is coming. And then in Isaiah 35, in fact, it wouldn't be terrible to look at it again. I don't know if you're able to, Carissa, look at that one more time. You'll have to go back in the slides to find it. But notice some of the connections here. I'm going to show you a little bit more than I intended to. So here we go. It says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of what? Lebanon. Where did he just come from? He was just entire inside. And yeah, that rebellious, thorn in the slide, idolatrous enemy. They're going to be blessed. Guess where he just blessed the Syrophoenician woman, Lebanon. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold your God. Will come with vengeance and recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. And what will happen when the God of Israel comes to save not just his own people, but Lebanese people, Syrophoenician people? Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Waters will bring forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, and the burning sand shall become like a pool, the thirsty ground, springs of water, the hunt of jackals, they shall lie down, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, a fast route, right? A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the highway of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over it it shall belong to those who walk on the way 
even if they are fools. No lion shall be there, no predator, nor shall there be any ravenous beast, but the redeemed of the Lord shall walk there, and it goes on. And so there's this connection that Yahweh's God has come, and he is bringing springs in the desert, and he is fulfilling this promise to Israel. But the promise is coming not just to Israel, but to those outside Israel. It's coming to those who respond rightly to Jesus. And we get a return to this insider-outsider theme. That those who you would think are on the inside are actually on the outside. Those who you would assume are on the outside of God's plan are actually on the inside. It's a huge theme in the book of Mark. And I think one other thing to just pause and think about is, do you ever think about those who are deaf today? And how difficult it is to be in a church, to be a part of a community when you're deaf. How do you read the Bible? Well, you can read the Bible, but how do you hear the word preached? The deaf are a complicated and often overlooked, unreached people group. There's over 70 million deaf people around the world, and nearly 98% of them have never been reached with the gospel. Did you know that? And so Jesus goes out of his way to help this deaf person. And I just was thinking about that this week, how challenging that is around the world. Because it's not like you just translate, you just translate, you know, whatever, preaching or the word or whatever into whatever sign language. But each country of deaf people, each people group of deaf people have their own dialect. So I just thought that was an interesting thing I'd throw in there and something that we should pray for. Nearly 98% of people who are deaf have never heard the gospel. They're an unreached people group that we often don't think about. So Jesus opens what, has, what had been closed. And then in chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, we're leaving almost all of this for next week, but I just want, to see, want you to see it tied with this theme of Jesus' ministry among the Decapolis outside of Jerusalem, or outside of Israel. And what he does, listen to this, in those days, he satisfies the hungry faithful. In those days, a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I sent them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from afar away. And the disciples said to him, How can we feed? How can one feed these people with bread here in a desolate place? What are you thinking? Disciples. Like, guys, this was not a problem last time. It's not a problem this time. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? We've got seven. You actually have two more than you had last time. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples. What does that sound like? That language is almost word for word when Jesus will break bread with his disciples and at the Lord's table. Ah, oh, this is among Gentiles. So the same breaking of bread this symbol of inclusion and shepherding from Jesus that's for, Jesus, for his people or the feeding of the 5,000, that same blessing is being given here. This same invitation to come and be fed by Jesus is given to those who are not Israelites. Verse 7, And they had a very few small fish, probably some sardines, some say. And having blessed them, he said, that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied. Now think of this in context of, hey, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. These people aren't just getting crumbs, are they? 
They're getting their fill of Jesus. They're not getting leftovers. They're getting the exact same blessing from Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, as the Jewish people got. And they're getting as much of Jesus as they want. They're getting as much of the sustenance and provision of Jesus. They ate and were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there was about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Again, this is a parallel with Mark 5. He is the Messiah of the Israelites. He's the Messiah of the non-Israelites. And they are the same. Same provision, same terms, same Messiah for all people. They didn't have to jump over any hurdles. They didn't have to do anything besides just be faithful and need Jesus. That was all they needed to be treated the exact same as God's people. A few takeaways for us. Jesus loves and rewards a humble yet tenacious faith. Right? That's actually the point of the passage. Jesus loves and rewards humble yet tenacious faith no matter who it is, no matter where they came from, no matter how unclean they may be. Humble and tenacious faith is rewarded. The woman had humble, tenacious faith. She's badgering Jesus. The friends have tenacious faith in Jesus to get their friend to him and beg him. The crowds have tenacious trust to leave all of their provisions and walk with Jesus for three days out in the desolate wilderness just hoping he comes through. And he does. Tenacious faith. Jesus loves and rewards a humble yet tenacious faith. Secondly, true ministry is intimate, considerate, and contextualized. I just take this from the man, the deaf man. He's intimate with the man. He's considerate. He's contextualized. Even with the Syrophoenician woman, he's going to challenge her, but it's for her good, right? He's trying to highlight something in her. Jesus isn't just like blasting everybody with the exact same words in the exact same way. He's intimate with each and every person. He knows where they're at. He knows their hearts, and he meets them where they are. He's considerate of where they're coming from, and he contextualizes. Jesus got down with the deaf man. Hey, your ears, your tongue. He, do, he, he goes the extra mile to help sure that the person knows where this ministry is coming from. And I think we ought to do the same. I think true ministry with us should be life on life. We can't serve and love people from a distance. We can't just throw a bunch of stuff out there and then retreat safely like we have to have an intimate ministry where we're putting fingers and ears and touching tongues, so to speak, metaphorically. We've got to be in people's lives, right? Enough to where, well, gosh, some of this uncleanness might get on me. Like, Jesus is, is doing the unthinkable here because he loves and cares for them. And we, if we want to be involved in Jesus' ministry, need to have intimate, considerate, and contextualized ministry that takes the people that we're ministering to in mind, meets them where they are, and seeks to communicate a love and a concern and the power of Jesus to them. Number three, God's mission is to redeem a people for himself from all the peoples of the earth. I'm just going to rattle off some scriptures here as we close. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek or the non-Jew. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Revelation 5, 9. Up in heaven. We have this heavenly vision in Revelation of, of the end of time. Revelation 5, 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll, Jesus, and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, And I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped. Worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. He does all things well. He does all things well. All the nations of the earth. All the peoples. Jesus has removed all barriers between people and himself. All the barriers have been removed by Jesus. And Jesus has removed all the barriers between people and people. So that when we are reconciled to God, we are also reconciled to one another. To call God Father is to call every Christian brother and sister. James Edwards says, Although the Gentiles are reviled by the Jews, they are not reviled by God. They are not reviled by God. This is shocking and stunning. We take this for granted, but this is shocking and stunning. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 Here's what Paul says, because this is still fresh for the people in the, in the New Testament times. And when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's like, you need to understand that this gospel is reconciling people to each other. Because God has broken down the wall between Jew and Gentile. Here he says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, unclean, like the Syrophoenician woman, called the uncircumcision by what was called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, like everyone in our story, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. This eating of the bread together that we celebrate at the Lord's Supper, this eating of the bread both by Israelites and by non-Israelites is not an accident. That he might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, not just with God, but with each other. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, the Syrophoenician woman, and peace to those who were near, his own family. For though... For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jew and Gentile all built together. In him you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Chapter 3, he just keeps going. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace has been given to me for you, 
how the mystery that was made known to me by revelation, this mystery, right, that he speaks of, that I get to preach. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but now it's being revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Oh, God has been keeping that kind of as this sort of hinted at secret. And then when Jesus comes and he accomplishes his work, it blows the doors off all the things that divide Jew and Gentile and all who come to Jesus Christ. And he goes, that's the mystery that I have been called to go around the world and give my life for, is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. The same gospel reconciles any person to God, no matter where they come from. The same gospel reconciles any believer to any other believer. The dividing wall of hostility is gone. It's one body. It's one people. And so the question for you is what stands between you and God? What stands between you and God? Through the book of Mark, we see that pride and, or shame is what keeps people from being reconciled to God through Jesus. And I just want you to know that Jesus has dealt with both pride and shame on the cross. That need not stand between you and God anymore. Whatever you're ashamed of, and maybe you're too prideful to bow the knee on, Jesus has killed both through his death on the cross, and you can be a child. Dogs are still being transformed into children. God is still opening. Jesus is still opening what has been closed. And he will still satisfy all who come to him with tenacious faith. He gets down on his knees. He'll take his face in your hands like he did. The, I can fix what's wrong with you. It comes from heaven above. And then he speaks. And it's open. Our hearts are open. Our lives are transformed. What stands between you and other believers? Pride or shame? Jesus has dealt with that too on the cross. To have him as your savior is to have brothers and sisters too. To call God father is to call one another brother and sister. This is good news, my friends. This is such good news that no other religion can offer. Only Jesus offers us. This is the mystery that's been hidden for ages in God. That we get the opportunity to be a part of the family of God through Jesus. Let's bow our heads and wherever you're at right now, I just want to give you a moment to respond to that message. Just giving thanks to God that the gospel is for all nations. That even the most unclean people like the Syrophoenician, if there's tenacious faith in Jesus, you will get a blessing from Jesus. That he comes to you in your needs, comes to you as you are, and then he transforms you and makes you children. He opens up the way. He satisfies those who come to him in faith. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that my friends here would hear this message and take it personally. That whatever shame they may feel, that they may be like the Syrophoenician woman and push right through that with tenacious faith in the promises of Jesus. To not let any difficulty keep them from getting to Jesus and receiving from him what you promised by faith. 
God, I pray that some of us, maybe we're here because someone invited us. We don't even know why we're here. It's like we're the deaf man. Uh, we just were brought by some friends. God, we pray that, that we would have Jesus look us in the eyes and point out what's wrong with us and how he is the solution. And then we pray that he would speak to our hearts and open them wide open and that we might be proclaimers of your word too. And God, I pray that you would feed those who walk with you by faith. It can feel like you are so distant and far away that we've been following you for days without food. God, we pray that you would provide and you would satisfy our hearts with your, the bread that only comes from you. Uh, so Lord, we thank you for what this pictures about the gospel being for all nations, that this is just the first of many Gentiles who will come into the family of faith through Jesus. And God, we thank you that we uh, are here as a Christian church now because of what was begun in our text today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.